Good evening. And what a treat to be starting off a new sermon series on Mark. So we're going to start Mark tonight, and uh, we're really looking forward to the sermon series, focusing in on this um, gospel, this good news, uh, taking it chapter by chapter, section by section, uh, and looking at what God's got to say to us. There's something fascinating about uh, reading a text and allowing a text to read us uh, and, and what it's going to say to us, what it's, how it's going to shape us. I'm looking forward to that. And I love that we're looking at, at Mark. Uh, Mark uh, is one of the earliest written Gospels. Um, it's nice and punchy. It's pretty uh, fast-paced, and it's also pretty reliable historically as a document. If you're into all of that and you want to do some looking um, and reading and research, uh, it's, it's one of the earlier Gospels um, written by a guy called John Mark, um, probably somewhere around um, AD 60, maybe a little bit later depending on how you date it. I might differ from Gareth, but that's, I actually don't know. Um, I actually don't know. It's around that kind of time. Um, early enough, basically, for there to still be people around who'd walked with Jesus, who'd talked with Jesus, and who'd been impacted by Jesus, um, and who could, if they had any disagreements with what was being written, contest it. And there's no historical documents around that time that were contesting um, the accuracy of the report. So it's, it's, as a historical document, it's, it's pretty reliable. But I wonder whether you're going to meet the person of Jesus in it, because that's my hope. We don't just want a document. We want to have a relationship with a person. And so that's, that's my heart as we begin to read through, and as we look at it, there's something exciting about this particular gospel. Uh, um, it's, it's one of the gospels, it, the, the sad thing about Mark is there's no Christmas. There's just no Christmas. We don't have any nativity, there's no sheep, Mary and Joseph don't get a look in at the start of Mark, there's not even an elf or a wise man or a Father Christmas, there's just none of it. We just start straight up when Jesus is kind of 30, it's just before the start of what people refer to as his, the start of his public ministry. As someone who's passionate about children's ministry, I, I think that happened when he was 12, but we won't go there just yet. Um, it's, it's, it's at the beginning of, uh, of what's going to be three years of, of ministering in different settings and different environments. And as Mike's already said, I really would encourage you to get hold of this sermon series. There's something of a, a richness about looking through a book over a, a longer period of time um, where I would encourage you to be grabbing some of the journals, grabbing some of the, the Bibles, reading ahead, doing some of your homework, wrestling with the scriptures together. Um, that would be really good. We're going to hit the first 13 verses today. So if you want to move to open your Bibles to Mark, um, it's in there towards the end. You might want to turn it on. If you haven't got a Bible and you want to grab one of these, there's loads. We've got some new ones at the front. Come and grab one um, and open your Bibles to Mark. And we're going to read from chapter 1. Great. Thanks, Hudson. We'll have it on the screen as well. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it was written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance. That's kind of a changing of your mind, a complete about face for the forgiveness of sins. 
the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. I like wild honey, don't get me wrong. The locust bit, I'm not so sure about. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. That would have been the job of the the lowliest servant, to untie the sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Great. What stood out to you there? I'm going to give you 30 seconds to talk to the person next to you about what you found interesting about that passage. 30 seconds. Great. Did anyone have such a riveting conversation that you don't think you need any more sermon? Great, most of you. Well, you're wrong. Um, No, you may well be right. We're going to look a little bit at at some of the different sections, but I just want to paint a little bit of, of, of a picture of the geography around this, and particularly around this space, this place called wilderness that features quite a lot in this particular passage. Uh, and the, the title I've given um, tonight's message is Winning in the Wilderness. Winning in the Wilderness. There's something about the wilderness that helps us to win. And hopefully by the end of the, the next hour and a half, you'll know what that something is. It won't be that long if you're nervous and you're new to us. Welcome. We don't have an hour and a half long sermon. It should be about 20 minutes, uh, unless I warble on 25. So the wilderness. The wilderness is kind of this, um, a barren place. It's translated in, a different, in different ways, an arid place. Uh, in the New Testament, the word is used for a lonely place. Uh, in, in Mark uh, 135, it talks about Jesus retreating to an isolated place, a lonely place. The wilderness was a place, in this particular section, it was a place where you wouldn't necessarily settle a town, you wouldn't necessarily build a community because 
the environment was harsh. It would be risky. You couldn't rely on a, 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 a food source. It was a difficult place to be. Hence the locusts and the wild honey. There's not a, a subway nearby or a KFC or wherever it is that you might go to. It wasn't a straightforward place to live. It was a risky place. Wilderness occurs nearly 300 times in the Bible. It's a difficult environment and it's not an obvious place to settle or sustain community. But I want to suggest that God uses it. God uses the wilderness. He uses wilderness in our lives and he was using the wilderness then. There's something significant and attractive about the wilderness. So as well as the wilderness, you've got Jerusalem over here, this, this kind of political capital capital of, of Israel, also the religious capital at the time. That was where the temple was, that was where you went to do your sacrificing, that was where the focus was, that's where the religious elite, you know, the Gareth Dickinsons would, would have been. This, it's the place where the people who knew the scriptures really well would be. It was the place where the priests would intercede. It was, this, it was a center, it was a hub, it was where um, rhythms and everything was, was focused around. And it was also a big trading place. It was, it was a, a, a vibrant city. It was a busy place. And I want to kind of contrast busyness and wilderness. I wonder if there are people here this evening, and you know busyness very well. You could articulate busyness. Maybe just even today it's been busy because you've tried to fit so many different things in on this sunny day. Maybe the week has been a really busy one because you've been traveling about or there's been pressures or you've got stuff going on in your family. It's, there's busyness. There's, I mean, I just checked before I came on here. I've got two WhatsApp messages already today. Do you know what I mean? The social media stuff can be intense. I wonder if there's busyness all over the place, wherever you're looking. Busyness is something we might perhaps feel familiar with, but what is it about the wilderness uh, that, that can help us? We're going to look a little bit at that, and I want to make three suggestions um, about the wilderness that we find from this passage. And the first thing that I want to say about the wilderness is it's a place where God, God uses the wilderness to gain our attention to gain our attention. Because it's a place that's set apart. It's one of the interesting things, this, I think, as we look at why, why, was, why was a man like John the Baptist, as he starts to say this good news, that there's the Messiah that they've been waiting for for ages. This has been a barren period, 400 years without a prophet speaking God's words in this area. It's a time where they're desperate for something. Political unrest is going on, and they're desperate for some sort of word from God, some sort of rescuer. And so John the Baptist comes and starts talking about it. So why doesn't he talk about it in the religious capital? Why doesn't he talk about it at the center? Why is he doing it in a wilderness place? Well, maybe it's because the busyness and the franticness and the, and the establishedness wasn't necessarily the place where people's, God could get someone's attention. Where, where attention could be got. Maybe there was so much formality and routine in those places, and institutionalized religion within this center that someone had to go and be different. They had to go and be set apart. It's one of the, um, the, ones that we, the, the ways that we define the word holy as set apart. God is someone who's set apart. And there's something set apartness about this story that John the Baptist went out to preach the good news of Jesus coming and, and to baptize people in a set-apart place. It was a place where God 
could get our attention. I wonder where your place is that God can get your attention. That's my first question for you tonight. Where is it that God gets your attention? We love to sing, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. But where is our dis- discipline in coming after God, in giving him our attention? Would we sing that as passionately, I'm coming after you, God? Or are we just caught up in the busyness and the rhythms and the routines of city living, of town living? Are there areas in your life where you've got lonely places, silent places? Jesus used the the wilderness, the lonely place, the mountainside, all the way through his ministry. He would remove himself and go to places. Sometimes after really difficult things have happened, John the Baptist Later on, I don't want to spoil the story for some of you, but um, he has his head chopped off. Uh, It doesn't go that well when it comes to that situation. And that really is painful for Jesus. So where does he try and go to? A lonely place, a wilderness place, a place where he can get away, where the noise of, of people's opinions, of people's perspectives can be dulled and he can be drawn to this place. So the, the first thing I want to say is that God can use the wilderness to gain our attention, to gain our attention. But also, God uses the wilderness to grow our affection. There's something about wilderness where all the other stuff that we would perhaps have our affections on, all the other things that we would enjoy, like fast cars or um, computer games or social media, all those kind of things, suddenly we can, we've got less distraction and our affection can be grown. Uh, Karis and I had uh, the treat of going away for five days recently when we went to Cornwall. Um, It was beautiful, beautiful beaches, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, But one of the most refreshing things about Cornwall for us was the lack of mobile phone signal. It was so, so nice. And I know it wasn't nice for Gareth because he was texting me all the time saying, hey David, can we hang out? Hey David, you know know what Gareth's like. But for me, it it was just so peaceful. And you're going to find this hard, and I don't want to say this in the wrong way because some people are going to get emotional about this, but there was no Wi-Fi. There was no Wi-Fi, there was no signal. It was, it, it was in some ways like a, a wilderness place. It was a place where we were disconnected from so much else. And actually, it meant that it was a place where Karis and I um, actually got some real good connection time because there were no other distractions in evenings. We read a book together in the evenings, a marriage book. We watched some West Wing. For some of you young ones, that's a box set before they were on-demand TV and all that kind of stuff. It was, just, it, it was just nice. There were no distractions. It felt like something of a wilderness time. And it felt like we were able to restore our affection for each other, away from distractions. I wonder if you have any of that space and place in your weeks, in your months, and in your years for God. Where is it that he can whisper to you, where he can talk to you, where he can gain your affection? And what is it that is distracting you from affection with God? If you read the book of Hosea, a fascinating book where, um, oh, I won't go into the detail, but there's basically a character in there who's got caught up with the affections of all sorts of different people. All sorts of different people, wondering what people think of them, thriving off people's affirmation and affection all over the place. And this woman is just in a mess. And the Bible says, God says, I'm going to lure her into the desert so I can speak tenderly to her. And there's something about the desert, there's something about wilderness that is an invitation for God to speak tenderly, away from all the distractions, all the other things that would get in the way. 
So again, I ask, where are your wilderness points? Where are your lonely places? Where are those moments in your week where you get away and God can have your attention and your affection can be grown? The third one. So gain our attention, grow our affection. God also uses wilderness to guard our aspirations. To guard our aspirations. I wonder what it is that you dream of. What it is your hopes are. What it is that you give your time to build in everyday life. But there's something about wilderness and something about connecting in the desert places where our aspirations are refined, where God gets to question our motivations, away from the hustle and bustle, away from the, 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 the demands and the pressures. We get these wilderness moments in order that, we can, that, that God can guard our aspirations. And there's something about all of this in the story that we've been looking at as we see why there's something of separation in this story. So we're going to look at it again. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. He's sending a, a messenger, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, calling in this place, set apart in this dangerous place. Prepare the way for the Lord. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, changing your mind. What is it that's in the way? And a whole bunch of people come, a whole bunch of people gather and decide, you know what, we're going to get baptized by this guy. We're going we're gonna to go down to this water, representative of wanting to be washed away of, of all that mess, go through the water, quite literally, and come out the other side into freedom. There was, if you know the Exodus story, there's so many kind of motifs in here around Exodus and walking through into freedom that the people at the time who were being baptized would have seen, wow, this is something of being brought into new life and brought into freedom. So they were dipped, plunged, soaked, immersed, as though is that word that's used, literally soaked in the water and brought up into, in, in repentance. And there's something of identifying with God again in that. It says the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. And they would have seen that this speaks of a new exodus, this new exodus that's coming. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, before, because I knew I was going to preach about this, I did try my best to get into the character. I, I've grown this beard particularly for this evening. I'm going to shave it off tomorrow. And I, I couldn't find any camel hair clothing, um, but I have been eating locusts and wild honey all day. Ask Harris if you don't believe me. Um, it's not true. Um, but there's something different. What is it? Why, why does the Bible mention this? Again, there's something different. A lot of the religious leaders of the time who were caught up in the city in Jerusalem had, had been, were actually part of the aristocracy of that town. They were caught up in the political environment and they were connected with the Romans. There was all sorts of collusion going on in this bunch of people. And there was compromise within the religious leaders. Now, you guys have got some incredible religious leaders who would obviously never compromise. I mean... But what I'm saying is, at that time, there was mess. There was compromise all over the place. And so there's something rich and amazing about someone who wasn't out there for the glory, wasn't in a comfortable environment, was out there in the wilderness eating locusts and honey. 
I think it's well worth mentioning this, and Mark is right to put it in there and say, John was different. He was different. There's something about that differentness that's, he's, he's not after all the other affections. His affection is being refined by locusts. Now, we're not excited about punishing ourselves and eating locusts and all that kind of stuff, but we, we do want to be a different people. We do want to be a, a different people who aren't just going after a career, who aren't going after um, a certain level of food. I'm devastated that we haven't got M&S on the way back on Presbury at the moment. If anyone knows Presbury Road, the BP garage is closed down at the moment and I don't get my cheap reduced M&S at the end of the day on a Sunday. <laughs> but I have just told everyone else. I know. <laughs> 25 past 8, reduced M&S food normally. I've said it now. Um, I love posh food, but I'm not going to live for buying posh food. Do you know what I mean? I'll eat locusts and honey if that's, if that's what I have to do. Have I said that live? Has that been recorded? Um, there's something about the lifestyle that John's living that is not just preaching, he's living differently. He's not just saying live differently, he is living it. He is eating it, he is breathing it, he's in the wilderness, he's in a different place. I wonder what your lifestyle looks like. Are you just caught up in the normal rhythms of a, a middle class life? Or does your life look different? Do the decisions that you make look different? Because it comes back to whether God's got your affection. Whether God's got your affection. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's something amazing about a man who lives his life to point to someone else. And I think that it helps being in the wilderness. There's a clarity about the wilderness. It's, this is not about me. This is not about my comforts and me. It's about, it's about him. It's about the one who is to come. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Slight little side point, but if, before you start any level of frontline pressured ministry, wherever you're called to, whatever you're, whether that's in your homes as parents, whether that's in your colleges, student unions, wherever it is in your workplaces, you have to know the love of the Father. You have to know the affirmation of the Father. Even Jesus needed to hear that before he was sent out. What I love about this, though, is, and this is where we learn something of the richness of the wilderness. He says, I love you to bits. You're going to the desert. That's basically what he says. I love you so much. I'm going to send you to a harsh place. I'm going to send you to a difficult environment. And I wonder if there's some testing that God wants to, to bring you into. I want to just explain a little bit about this. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Now we use the word tempted, but there's probably a better word and it would be uh, tested. I'm going to read a look from uh, Paula Gooder's book, Let Me Go There. It's really helpful. It's really helped my understanding of the wilderness and what it looks like. It's a book that's designed around Lent, but there's some real 
richness in it. It says here, the word translated as tempt is the Greek word parazo, which when used elsewhere in Matthew is actually translated as test. So the Pharisees and Sadducees tested Jesus by asking him for a sign from heaven. Or in another passage, the Pharisees asked for his view on divorce. In both cases, Jesus' questioners would dearly have loved to trip him up. But there's little implication that he was being tempted to sin. Rather, what they were doing was challenging and testing Jesus to discern how he would respond under pressure. And in this sense, this is what, also what the devil was doing in tempting him in the wilderness. It's also worth noticing that Jesus was in the wilderness in the first place at the behest of the Spirit. In other words, his encounter with the devil was within the plan of God. Jesus and the devil did not sneak away for a bit of illicit tempting. The Spirit led him there. There's something about the Holy Spirit that wants to test you. I think God wants to test you. He wants to know whether you're actually up for it. He wants to know if you're up for it. And that's what the wilderness can be. That's what the wilderness can represent. So Jesus was led into this risky place, this hard place, this harsh place, and he was tested before his public ministry, affirmed by God and then tested, affirmed by God and then tested. And this is where the title comes from, winning in the wilderness. Jesus won so many battles over these 40 days that were then fought over the rest of his public ministry. But he'd won the battles already. He'd been tested. He'd developed his muscles. What's interesting, if you look at um, the kind of science nowadays and the neuroplasticity of the brain, it, it takes actually, scientists will tell you, it takes 40 days to change a mind. If you've got a pattern of thinking, if, if, there, are, if there are ways that your brain thinks, um, it takes 40 days of thinking in a different way for that to change. And Jesus here has 40 days where his... His resolve is refined and tested and is proven before he goes out and does the ministry. And in that sense, as we're looking at here, his aspirations are guarded. He's not, he's not going to go out there and try and win some sort of public opinion. He's out there to the glory of God and it's refined in the wilderness. So God wants to gain our attention, he wants to grow our affection, and he wants to guard our aspirations. And the wilderness is a place where that can happen. The wilderness is that place where that can be refined. Well, what is the wilderness? What does the wilderness look like for you? Well, in many ways, it looks like the places and the times that we give God our attention. But it may well be those pressured times that you didn't invite, you didn't ask for, but you find yourself in that are really difficult. And maybe you'd rather shrug them off, or you'd maybe not rather walk through them. 40 days without food sounds like a, a crazy thing for me. Um, it's not necessarily the thing that we would choose for ourselves, and yet there are places that God can meet with us and can get our attention, gain our affection, and guard our aspirations. So maybe you're in a wilderness time now. Maybe you're in that place that feels like it's pressury, it's difficult, and maybe you feel like, actually, when it comes to the religious stuff, the God stuff, you feel far away from, from God. You feel isolated. Or maybe tonight God wants to change that around and suggest to you that this could be a place where he 
speaks tenderly to you, where there's stuff not happening, where it doesn't seem fruitful, it seems like you're in a barren place, maybe this is the place where you can hear God's voice in a fresh way and in a clear way. But maybe for some of us, we just don't have any wilderness time. Maybe you're not having a particular pressure time, but there's nowhere where God can have your attention. There's nowhere where he can speak to you. There's nowhere he can refine who you are, and, there's, and, and you're not giving him a place where, you can be, where he can test you, where he can challenge you. And maybe that's the message for you tonight. So there's good news, and there's ministry ahead for, for Jesus at that time there was, for us, there's stuff that God wants us to do this week, there's stuff that God wants to do in the coming years, and as a church, as we build on the three Ps of positioning before God, planting, partnering, for, partnering to serve, planting for life, all these different areas that we want to push into as a church and focus in on. But my question to us tonight is, has God got our attention, our affection, and are our aspirations in line with him? Because maybe God wants to use the wilderness to shape some of that stuff. So should we stand? I'm going to ask the, yeah, the worship team are going to come up and join us. My sense is there's still more for us this evening in terms, of, in terms of worship, just pushing in a little bit when it comes to affection and our attention, just reminding that our attention is on Him and on God, because it might be that He wants to speak something new, to speak something fresh. So we're just going to pray. You might want to hold your hands out. It's just... To say, God, I'm, I'm open to the things that you want to say. If you're not familiar with the stuff that we do here as a church, we, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being this gift. And for those of us who've accepted Jesus into our lives, we have that gift. But we're reminded to, be, to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So God, that's what we're asking tonight, that you would fill us again with your Holy Spirit. And my sense tonight is that God wants to commission a bunch of John the Baptists. He wants to commission a bunch of people who would choose of themselves to go into a wilderness place, to go into a different place, to live differently so that, so that Jesus could be pointed to. And yet I think if you, if you were honest with yourself, you feel like you fit much more with the Jerusalem, the hustle, the bustle, the busyness, the affections, the, the temptations of, of, of the culture around you feel very loud and the voice of God feels distant. So Jesus, for, for those of us that that applies to, would you move us, would you stir us, would you give us a hunger, God, to return to you?
Jesus. There's something powerful in repentance of changing your mind and saying, God, that's not the way I want to live. So just right now, if, there's, if there are things that God stirs in you, where you feel like you've been caught up in Jerusalem and in the culture of the day, in the politics of the relationships around you, in the pressures of trying to succeed in certain ways, the allure of attention maybe you just want to do some business with God and say God that is not how I want to live I'm sorry again call me to live differently call me to live a more costly version of Christianity than I've fashioned for myself Maybe all you know to articulate is just to say sorry. God, sorry. If that's the best prayer you've got right now, that's a powerful prayer. Sorry, God. I sense that there's some people here tonight and you know that you've you keep failing at the battles. You keep hitting these battle moments and you, and you just, you give in. You fall. You don't have the, the, the strength to face these different battles. Whether it's battles against sin, mess, battles in the friendships. You keep doing the same stuff that damages you and damages other people. You keep falling at the first hurdle when it comes to these battles. to suggest tonight that that's, that's because you need some wilderness space in your week. You need wilderness space in your week. You need to find a quiet place. You need to find a lonely place. So Lord, would you stir us? Again, I ask Holy Spirit that you just be prompting people all over this room around the places that, and the spaces that they can go to, the time that they can set aside. Because we're trying to win without the wilderness and it doesn't work God it doesn't work if unless we've been tested unless our affections have grown on you unless you've gained our attention We'd love, to, we'd love to pray for a bunch of people. Got some space down at the front. Just makes it easier for us to, to do that. If you want to pray where you are, that's, that's great. Um, the whole number of people that I'd love to, if, if some of the stuff that I've already been saying around Jerusalem and around distractions, if, if, if there's just any element that's stirred you this evening and you know you just need to respond, then I'd love you just, just to begin coming forward. I do sense that there's something around the affirmation as well that Jesus
God the Father through the Holy Spirit just affirmed Jesus as his beloved son. And I sense that some people tonight need to hear that, need to have the Holy Spirit just remind them that they affirm them. So why don't you just begin to come forward. We'd love to pray for, for different people. You might just be saying, God, I want, I want you to have my attention. You might be saying, God, I want you to have my affection. You might also be saying, God, would you test my aspirations? Would you guard them wherever I've gone ahead of you in the things that I want to do, in the way that I want to live? Would you test me?